0: I suppose that all of us, as we read our Bibles, become aware of our own failures. We become aware of the things that perhaps we have not done, at least to the extent that God would have us to do. And I've got to admit to you that as I have read and studied my Bible, and then I try to look at some of the areas of life that the Bible speaks of, you begin to make comparison and say, well, I probably have not done that as well as I need to. And that area that um, I'm speaking of is giving appreciation and thanks to the good brethren with whom it is your privilege to work. I've titled a series of lessons, A Church That Everyone Would Love. And I want to think about for the next probably eight weeks or so, maybe even a little bit further, about the church at Thessalonica. And I want to think about the Apostle Paul and his work among the Thessalonians and the kind of appreciation that he had for them. When you look at Paul's epistles and you read through them, it becomes very apparent that it wasn't just the Thessalonians, not just the Philippians, not just the Galatians, not just the Corinthians. In each of those epistles, Paul expresses thanks 44 times. And in fact, when you get to the book of First and 2 Thessalonians, six times he directly in so many words says, I am thankful for you. For just a moment, I'd like to remind you about the establishment of the church at Thessalonica. Paul had been met with a lot of resistance at Philippi. You remember he had been thrown into the jail and he and Silas had been released. And when you get to Acts 17 and verse 1, Now having passed through the upper regions, they came to Amphipolis and Apollonia, And then they made their journey on through to Thessalonica. When Paul arrives at Thessalonica, he goes into the synagogue of the Jews and he explains, he demonstrates that Jesus is the Christ. Paul has a very productive work there at Thessalonica. And in fact, if you notice, the church became very special. I mean, we're not just talking about a church that Paul went to, he preached... He made a few converts and he moved on. Let me just give you a couple of verses that illustrate the point that I'm trying to make. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. You see, when Paul looked at the Thessalonians, he said, it wasn't that we just had the privilege of coming and preaching to you. It wasn't just a job. You people became so special to us. You became so dear to us that when we're away, we really would like to be back with you. You go to chapter 3 and verse 6, and he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Paul said the kind of relationship that he and the Thessalonians had was such that they enjoyed one another's company, one another's presence. And he says, it was so that I wanted you back in my life, And you wanted me back in yours. Folks, sometimes I don't think that I have let this congregation know how much I appreciate you. And so I planned to try to work it out where the Sunday before the day we celebrate Thanksgiving in our country, that I would begin a series of lessons that speaks about Paul's appreciation of this great church at Thessalonica, and to try to honor you as we try to look through the Scriptures and see the church at Thessalonica and what made them special. What made them so valuable. And then for me to express that to you as well. What we're going to do this morning, we're going to study 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 2-4. through 4, Just those three verses that Brother Herb read to us just a few moments ago. And what we want to do is to look at three things found there. We want to look at the prayers that were prayed, the people that were involved in their work and their activity in life, and then number three, their preference. God's preference for them and their preference for God. Let's look at these three verses for just a moment. Let's look again at verse two. Let's let's sort of specially hone in on it. We give thanks to God... And if you underline in your Bible, always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul uses a lot of those superlatives. Always and all. The church there was very dear to him to the point where he prayed for them. But you see, if you're going to pray a prayer, what really is important is what do you say? For instance, someone is suffering. You say, we're praying for you. Well, what are you praying? Well, I, I pray that you'll get well. I pray that the doctors, the nurses that attend to your needs and those healthcare professionals, that they'll be successful. For what did Paul pray for the Thessalonians? And in turn, what did they pray for him? Well, let's look. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. I want you to notice that Paul again in verse 9 talks about his desire to see them face to face the enjoyment that he draws from that. But there's some reason that Paul wants to see them. It's so that he can, and if you'll notice that word in verse 10, perfect what is lacking in your faith. The idea is not of the fact that they're somehow deficient, but it is they're not complete. They don't have everything yet. And in reality... A gospel preacher never gets through. We never get to the point where we have taught everyone everything completely. But you see, there is a level that you want to bring everyone to. You want to have a level of maturity, a level of understanding. And Paul says, I want to be able to finish that. I pray for this congregation that the lessons that are preached will be those that will help mature the congregation. That will help you focus your mind upon Scripture and doing what it says. If you go to chapter 5, you'll look at verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What Paul prayed for them and what he wanted them to pray for was giving thanks. In everything give thanks. We give thanks for the material blessings we enjoy. Brother Mike did a great job praying with us this morning for us. As he illustrated so well in his prayer, the the physical blessings we enjoy, our food, our shelter, our families, all the things that go along along with this world. And God has bountifully blessed us there. But most of all, for the spiritual blessings which we enjoy. There's so much for which you and I have to be thankful. And we ought to include that in our prayers. But I want you to notice something else that was involved in their prayer. When you drop down to verse 25, brethren, pray for us just a moment, we're going to notice why Paul wanted them to pray for him. When he says us, he's talking about, according to 1 Thessalonians five or chapter 1, verse 1, he talks about Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Pray for us. We need it. You go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 11, and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of His calling and fulfill all of His good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith and power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was praying that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. When you pray a prayer... Do you pray that this church can glorify God? Now, how do you do that? Well, obviously, if you remember Matthew 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Works that you and I do that are done with the desire, the intent to give God the glory... Those are the kind of things that we ought to pray for. That the church here can be a shining light, not for us, but for the Lord. And then 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. The idea of praying that this word here may have, as some of the translations say, free course. So that you and I may be able to say something that others will hear and listen to and obey. Now, as I sort of summarize this, there are several principles that all be a part of the prayers. We ought to be praying for one another's health and well-being. In 3 John, John said, Beloved, I pray that in all things you may prosper and be in health. We have several of our members here who are now presently, and some just recently have gone through some very difficult physical trauma in their life. Some of them are suffering from some very dreaded diseases that the prospects doesn't look well for them. You need to pray for them. We as a congregation, you want to be a congregation of which everyone would want to be a part of. You want to be a congregation that pleases the Lord. We pray for one another. We ought to be praying for the faith of one another. You say, what do you mean by praying for their faith? You and I every day meet challenges. We're faced with sin. We're faced with temptation. And there's people who would love for us to succumb to it. In Luke 22 and verse 32, Jesus said to Peter, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. How many of us see our young Folks And the temptations they face, do we pray for them that as they are tempted, they may stand strong and be faithful? Do we pray for those of us who may be working in jobs that call upon us to work in a very negative environment where people curse, where people fornicate, where people do all sorts of ungodly things to be able to stand strong and not participate in their ungodliness? We ought to be praying for the work of God to be successful. And Paul says twice to them, "Brethren, pray for us." I appreciate you praying for me publicly. When you mention that, I might be able. I more brethren pray for my memory than anything else. Believe me, I need that. We need to be focused on the work. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. And for me that an utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly and to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians 4, 3. Meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open to us a door for the word. Not only should you be praying that the preacher would preach it just like the Scripture teaches it, but also that we would have opportunities to reach other people. The kind of church that everyone would want to be a part of is one that prays and do that persistently. Colossians 4.2, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I've got to move along. I want to talk about the people just a little bit. All these people are so special. Look at verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of God and Father. Now there are three traits that Paul mentions here. The work of faith, the labor of love and the patience of hope. And when I think about those words, faith, love, and hope, I find them not only here, but you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, it, and the greatest of these is love. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, let those who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope Of salvation, you see faith, hope, and love in a number of passages. But for a moment, focus on that. What made the people so special? First of all, is that work of faith, or faith that works? In fact, only kind of faith that is worth anything is a faith that works. James two fourteen through eighteen, in verse twenty two, in fact. I almost said, well, let's just take all of James 2.14 through the end of the chapter, but we don't have time to look at it all. But he talks about a man who says he has faith but doesn't have works. He says, can that faith save him? And then he goes on to point out, verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone says, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. Verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? A real congregation is one that trusts God, but trusts God enough to do something, not just to talk about it. Galatians 5 and verse 6, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile. He says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. When you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you begin with Abel and you go all the way through the end of the chapter and you'll notice as verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God. You get to the end of it, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. If you say, I believe God, then you ought to be willing to do something about it going right along with a work of faith or a faith that works is a love that labors because you care a motivation you know when you start thinking about people doing things there's sometimes that people do things because of obligation somebody says okay you've got to do this sort of like we do paying our taxes we just we do that cause we're obligated to do it. We don't do it because we enjoy it. Or at least I don't. But if you think about some things people do, they do because they care and want to do that. Remember Genesis 29, 20 when Jacob went to serve his father-in-law Laban for his beautiful bride Rachel. It says Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. He wanted to do it. In Galatians 5.13, he talks about not using their liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but he says through love serve one another. When you and I as a member of the Lord's church help one another, we serve one another because we care, that's when it means something. I like the way that the Hebrew writer puts it. He talks about the kind of work that you and I do. And he says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name in that you minister to the saints and do minister. You keep on doing it. And then John says, His commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not difficult. Because it's a labor of love. The third thing of which he speaks is the patience of hope or an endurance produced by hope. You see, we have before us the promise that God has made. That promise of eternal life in Titus 1 and verse 2 and Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says that it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. That's held out as something on which you and I place our hope And yet at the same time, we are enduring a world full of sin and a world full of difficulty. And you have to endure it. You have to be patient through it. When you think about the Thessalonians, I want you to see them. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. The church in Jerusalem was persecuted by Jews. When Paul came to Thessalonica, those people persecuted the church there, but they were Gentiles. You see, we may live in a community that may mock us, May not appreciate us for the stand which we take. I thought it was interesting. I had a gentleman come by this week. In this, fact, it was Friday. Not a member of the Lord's church. Wanted to express appreciation for our stand that we've taken publicly about alcohol. You know, that's, that speaks well for standing for what is right. Romans eight, twenty four and twenty five, Paul would talk about being saved in hope. He said, But that hope that's not what you have seen, because if you see it, you're not hoping for it. But verse twenty five but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's worth it. A congregation that has its focus on eternity. Hebrews 10.36, you have need of endurance, so that you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And I thought about calling Brother Jeff and asking him to lead. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. very first song that we sang this morning, chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? would you be honored to stand with this congregation when the lord returns again i would and paul was looking forward to standing with them in eternity as well now let's talk about chapter 1 verse 4 this is an important verse it talks about preference Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Your election by God. When you elect someone, you choose them. The Thessalonians were chosen by God. Elected by God. And for many people, this is a difficult topic. What makes it difficult is not what the scripture says. What makes it difficult is what many of our religious neighbors may say. For instance, some of you are well aware with a doctrine known as Calvinism, now over 500 years old. And Calvinism is explained by an acronym, T-U-L-I-P. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Total depravity says that you were born in sin with no goodness in you and that the only way that you and I can ever come to God is if God works a miracle in our heart. Unconditional election says that God chose to save me without any conditions on my part. That's what unconditional election means. But you know, see, there's a problem with that. And the problem with that is, is that God's invitation is to all. In fact, you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because from the beginning, now listen carefully, God chose you for salvation. And they say, see, right there it is. God chose them. But listen carefully. Through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God calls through the gospel. Well, God only saves the elect is what they say, but do you remember Mark 16, verse 15? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hebrews two verse nine, he by the grace of God tasted of death for every man. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, the gospel is for all. Acts 15, verse 7. Paul says, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You see, the Thessalonians were chosen by God. They were chosen to hear God's word. They were chosen to believe God's word and to obey God's word. We do have a part in our calling and election. In Second Peter 1 and verse 10, he's just previously talked about all the things that you and I ought to have in our life. He says to them back in about verse 3, His divine power is granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and virtue that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. And then he talks about add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and then so forth. And he gets down in verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even the more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Make your call and election sure. We ought to be thankful to be a part of a faithful congregation. We're not the only faithful congregation. There's a lot of good brethren out there serving the Lord. But if you're a part of a congregation that is faithful to God that has an eldership, that loves the truth, that is trying to lead the congregation to heaven, if God's Word is being preached, if prayers are being uttered, if the people are trying to live God's Word, and you are a people for whom has been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, you ought to be thankful for that. Churches that possess faith, hope, And love. And you can enjoy that great fellowship of God's people. In Acts 2 and verse 47, as Luke is summarizing that great event of Pentecost, and it was a great event where you had preaching, you had great response. And he says, Praising God and having favor with the people, the Lord added the church daily, those who were being saved. You can be a part of the Lord's church and enjoy the privileges and the blessings that are a part of it. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. If you're going to open your song book now, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins... We would love to see you obey the gospel this morning. If you need to be restored to faithfulness, we can pray with you and for you. God loves you. This church loves you. Why not express your love by coming forward as we together stand and sing?